Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. We've been going through a uh, series, if you recall, we started a series on Christ-likeness. And I think it's, uh, it should be our goal. If you remember in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, when Paul makes the statement, it's my uh, purpose that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and be conformed to the image of His Son. Because that should be our same goal. Do I really want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? And it is continual. And that's why you have in Romans 8, that's why you have salvation in His purpose is to conform us to the image of His Son. That's why you also have in Isaiah 55, His ways are not my ways, His thoughts are not my thoughts. So how He gets me there is not necessarily the way I would have taken me. And uh, how many of you would agree with that? But that's why He does it. So if you remember, we looked at some of the previous studies. We had the intimacy with Christ. And that's when we're drawing closer to Him, and that should be our goal, to draw closer to Him. And uh, there's a lot of dangers that will get us sidetracked we looked at. So we then, a few weeks back, we looked at simplicity, getting, getting rid of clutter. How many of you have uh, a little clutter in your life? And what happens for all of us, it's easy then for us, basically we even made a series a number of years ago called The Barrenness of the Busy Life. And so often we have so many things going on that we do not... Uh, basically really get to the important things. We need to get rid of some things. A few weeks ago, we then talked about the solitude and silence and service. And if you look throughout with Christ, He would serve. He didn't get away and pray. And then He would serve again. His disciples, He sent them out. He then in Mark 6 said, come away to a to lonely place and rest. So you have the service. You need a place of solitude, back to service. And then we also then need silence. Some of us are so busy telling the Lord what He needs to do, we never can hear what He's telling us to do. And I think we can easily do that. And we live in a society where we always have to have noise. We always have the radio on. We always have something going that we cannot hear. Then if you remember, we also did that of uh, surrender. How many of you have it hard to uh, release your grip? That surrender, it's really hard to do that because we think we know what's best and we are... Mainly we're told, remember, in Philippians that we need to be like Christ. And he gave up heaven. And you think about that, coming to this earth and dying on the cross. Uh, when I get there, I'm sorry, folks, I don't plan on coming back. Okay? Uh, you know, but you think about what He gave up for us. That's amazing. Now, the surrender. He's asking us. He's not asking us to do anything that He did not Himself do. And we looked at that. And then last week, you remember, we looked at the prayer. And prayer is so important. Uh, we oftentimes we think of what prayer isn't, but we looked at what prayer is, and we saw that in Philippians four. And then we also saw the place of prayer in Christ's life in the book of Luke. You find him praying every time you turn around. He's praying. He's praying before major decisions. He's praying after a conflict. He's always praying. When things are going well, he's praying. When things aren't going well, he's praying. And we, if we want to be like Christ, then prayer has to be that in our life. So that takes us then to today, and uh, you stop and you think about it. All these things, when you look at these essentials that you have, one thing that's in common with all of them is it takes that nasty word called discipline. How many of you like that word discipline? You know, 
you look at it, let me give you some examples of some discipline because we'll know him well. Leonardo da Vinci, would you agree that he was quite talented? You realize he was frustrated because he couldn't draw a hand the way he thought it should, a human hand. Do you realize he drew a hand 1,000 times till he figured he got it right? But when we see his paintings, do we think of that? We don't think of that. He, he practiced 1,000 times on just one human hand to get it right. What about you stop and you think about me here on sports? A lot of you will remember I went to Baylor, Mike Singletary, any of you remember him? The linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Six foot tall, 200 pounds. That's not big enough or tall enough for an NFL linebacker. But he only made the Pro Bowl 10 years in a row. He's in the Hall of Fame. Why? Because he lifted weights, but he was practicing and studying film more than anybody else, where he knew what the opponent was going to do before they did it. And he was always in the right place at the right time. So he made the best, but again, it was discipline. Why was he able to succeed when others with more talent did not? It was discipline. How many of you ever heard of the violinist, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this, Chaska? He started practicing violin at the age of three. He practiced until his death of 87. He practiced four hours a day for 84 years. Only to give a one-hour concert just a few times a year. Don't you think when he was 80 he could have quit? He would forget more than you and I would ever, would ever learn. It's discipline behind the scenes. The difference though, all these I just mentioned get a public audience. But what about in first? you think about 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7 when Paul writes to Timothy and he makes the statement, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. If you're wanting to be godly, it's not a public audience. That's an audience with God. And many people will may never see it. So when we look at this, we're thinking about this. Today I like for us to think about the characteristic of humility. The essence or essential of humility. Very important. If we as believers are wanting to be like Christ, we need humility. I think what happens is, one thing we think of is humility is, would you agree, is often misunderstood today. We often think of weakness or whatever. It's not what humility is. Christ was humble, but He certainly wasn't weak. We also, how many of you think, well, humility is great for other people, but I don't want it. We love it in somebody else, but we don't want it ourselves. And I think it's important to recognize, you also, how many times do people think humility is low esteem? Low self-esteem. That's not humility. Romans 12 and verse 3, remember, it says, don't think too highly of yourself, but to think correctly of yourself. And I think it's important. So that's not what humility is, but I think... We do need humility because we're commanded to. So you think about it. When the man that wrote, we just saw that, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Would you say that was humble man? The psalm becomes popular all over, and yet he never once made it known until his death, close to it when somebody asked him, that he's the author. Because he wrote it for what? 
his mother. And it ministers to all the people that and you think about it, 150 years later, 170 years later, we're still singing the song and enjoying it. Humility. So let's think about it. If you remember, let me give you about seven statements today about humility. First one, the humble service was demonstrated by Christ, but it was also demanded by Christ. You stop and you think about it. If you you won't have to turn to I'll just give them to you. But in Philippians 2, in verse 4 and 5, remember it says, don't think of your own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself as that which is in Christ Jesus. He then goes on and how he called the Kenosha passage when he gave up heaven for us. But the passage you stop and think about it when it comes to service is in Mark chapter 10. In verse 35, you know the passage well. We can turn there if you like. Mark chapter 10, in verse 35 to uh, 45, and that's the key verse of the book of Mark, if you recall. And uh, you stop and you think about it, and the disciples believe that Jesus is going to overthrow Rome and he's going to then become the leader. And so James and John come up to him and say, What? We got a request for you. We, one of us on the right, one of us on the left. Hey, you know, it's interesting. God doesn't get on to him for being ambitious, but it's interesting. You know, the other. What happened to the other ten? They got all mad. They got all mad for what reason? Probably because they didn't ask the question first. But uh, being honest. But I want you to think about that statement when you look at it. What's he telling? The greatest among you is he who does what? Serves. And the key verse then, notice in verse 44, or you can go to 43 to 45. It's not among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be a slave to all. And key verse then for Mark, remember, presents Christ as a servant. Christ makes this statement about himself. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He demonstrated it. And he says, if you want to be a follower of me, this is what it's going to take. Isn't that what he tells you? If any man wishes to come after me, let him deny himself what? Take up his cross daily and follow me. And so I think it's important that it's uh, you stop and think about it. It was demanded. It was demonstrated and also demanded. And when you think about this, if you were Christ and you were coming to this earth, would you have done Isaiah 53 and verse 2? You don't have to turn there, but it said he had no stately form or majesty that we should be attracted to him. So Jesus, when he took on the form of man, intentionally chose not to be, for people to be drawn to him by his physical appearance. How many of us are upset with our physical appearance? And if we could change it, we would. Jesus could have come back in any form, but He chose not to come back in the form, or chose not to come in the form of what was attractive to the people of that day. Because He didn't want people to follow Him for the wrong reasons. So you think about it, the first one is humbly serve. It was demonstrated by Christ, it's also demanded. So if I want to be obedient, I have to be a servant. I think of one. How many of you ever heard of a man by the name of Dr. Paul Brand? He was a phenomenal surgeon. In fact, much of your surgery today follows after his footsteps because of how he did things. 
But what was he a surgeon? Where was he a surgeon and for what reason? He was a surgeon for the untouchables in India with leprosy. One of the most skilled surgeons in the world, and he chose to serve where? In the leper colonies, helping them with the And so today, so many of the techniques he developed on surgery, we still practice. Could he have got a job anywhere in the United States? He could have done all kinds of things and done well. That's where God wanted him. Mother Teresa, there's some of you you can think of. They chose that. How many of us uh, serve out of love for Christ, or how many of us serve so we can be noticed? Those who remember your teenage days, guys, why did you open the door for the for the young lady? Why did you open the door for the in-laws? There you go. Trying to impress. And I think it's important. Are we doing it because that's what God tells us to do? Are we doing it so that we'll be noticed? You know, we are hear criticism all the time of the Pharisees, but how many of us are like them? So the first one is demonstrated and demanded. The second one I want to think about is in, you can look over in uh, Acts chapter 7 for a moment. When we humbly serve where God gets the credit, we just talked about opening the door and stuff. It's uh, oftentimes we serve, but we do so we get credit. We're supposed to be serving where He gets the credit. If you remember in Acts chapter 7, and uh, starting down in like in verse 22, how many of you ever heard when you were growing up that Moses had a speech impediment? I, when I still, even to this day, if I get tired, I'll stutter, but I did when I was younger. But that's not what it says about Moses, actually. You notice starting in verse 22, Moses was educated in all the learning of Egypt, the Egyptians. He was a man of power. What's the next two words? In words and deeds. When he uses it in Exodus chapter 4, it means he didn't have a quick retort. How many of you think of all the answers you should have said when it's, you know, later. That's what it's referring to with Moses. But notice he was mighty in words and deeds. But I want you to look. On the age when he was 40, he visits in verse 23. And then in verse 24, when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him, took vengeance on for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting deliverance through him. They didn't understand. If they had followed Moses then, what would have happened? There would have been a revolt, right? And who would have got the credit? Moses would have. Notice then, it's 40 years later when he's in the wilderness and he's uh, learning. By the way, he's taking care of sheep, which from an Egyptian, that was very, you know, that's the lowest job you could do, basically. But he's learning how to do it because he's going to have to shepherd people. It's interesting to go along a little bit further and you notice in verse 35, it makes the statement that he is going to deliver with the help of the angel. Forty years later, you'll notice Moses isn't doing it on his own. He now is going to be relying on God to do it. And it's big. It's, I think it's very, very important to recognize it. And you look at Exodus 7, you look at Exodus 8, you look at Exodus 9, it always will say when Moses comes before Pharaoh, he'll make the statement, 
in different ways, but he'll say, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, says, let my people go. Who's getting the credit? God is. But when he started off, if he want, if they would have followed him then, who would have got the credit? And I think it's important when we want to humbly serve the Lord, we need to be doing so where he gets the credit. What is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16? Remember, don't let your light so shine before, you know, let it so shine before men so they see your good works and do what? Glorify your God who is in heaven. So when they see you good, do good works, they're glorifying God. But how many of us do good works so they glorify who? So they need to know when you're doing good works that you're doing it for the Father. That's what Moses did. In fact, the interesting statement, what does it say about him later at the end of his life? Moses, the most humble man that walked the face of the earth. It's not where he started, but that's what he became. And I think it's important for us to recognize we want to follow after Christ. When you think about it, the only one that said he walked face to face and anyone afterward was he going to be like? I mean, he had, if anybody wanted a pride deal, he could have. But he didn't. So stop and think about it. What about with you and I? When we do things, who gets the credit? Do we get the credit? Or does God get the credit? And I think that's an important one to ask. We want to do things where God gets the credit. How many it's happened so many times at work when I come across something I can't figure out? And I'm praying, Lord, show me what it is. And then you figure it out and people come up to you. How'd you figure it out? Now you have a choice, don't you? I didn't, they really didn't know, but I prayed about it. Now, how many people are going to tell people that? But that's what you need to be doing. That's what you need to be doing. The third one I want to think about, besides that it's demanded, and besides the fact that God should get the credit, how many serve where God has placed you with what He has given you? Serve Christ humbly where He has placed you with what He's given you. If you remember in Matthew uh, chapter 25, you have the separation of the sheep and goats at the end of the tribulation. And you remember the statement oh, when Jesus is rewarding his followers. And he said he's rewarding them for giving a, a cold a glass of water and clothing and food. And they asked the question, what? When did we ever see you and feed you? And he said, when you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto what? What did they have? They chose, they had these different things that they chose to share and give to others. How many of us see needs around us and we're humbly serving them because that's what God wants us to do? Not thinking that we're going to be rewarded for it. And I think it's important because it's easy to get caught up. One person I think that does this well, if you remember in the book of Daniel, what about the, his dream in Nehemiah, excuse me, Daniel chapter 2? You remember he tells he tells Nebuchadnezzar, no one can do this dream, but my God can, and he told me this. And notice he doesn't take the gifts or whatever. What about when you get to chapter 5, the handwriting on the wall? You remember they come and get him? The grandson comes and through the grandmother and finds, uh, finds him, and he tells the interpretation. Again, not for his credit, but he gives credit to the Lord. Amazing. How many of you would have uh, maybe done something different? What about Esther? What does Mordecai say? Perhaps you've been born for this very thing. 
Are we going to then choose to serve God where He's placed us and what He's given us? Whatever that may be. So, obviously the question is, are we? Are we serving Him with what He's given us and where He's placed us? I think a lot of times we want to, I'll serve, but I want some grand deal. Let me give you a fourth one. Humbly serve, let me go over to Proverbs for this. Humbly serve Him and let praise come from others. Humbly serve Him and let praise come from others. We saw that in the song, praise came from others. But in Proverbs 27, it makes this statement in verse 2. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. How many of us like uh, seek the praise of other people? And it tells you to let that praise come from others. It's interesting when I was reading, um, I didn't know this about uh, Ronald Reagan, but at his eulogy in 1981, George H. Bush stood up to give the eulogy. If you remember when he was shot, a person tried to assassinate him when he was convalescing. They came in his room, and President Reagan was on his hands and knees cleaning up the floor of water. And why was he cleaning up the water? He said apparently the nurse spilled some water, and he didn't want the nurse to get in trouble for water being on the floor. And Ronald Reagan, the president of the U.S., is on the floor cleaning up the... But who noticed? He didn't do it for because cameras were on him. He did it because he didn't want her to get in trouble. Because he cared about what could happen to her. Another one I think about is the uh, Robert E. Lee. I know we have a lot of uh, a lot of things happen today. A lot of people don't consider him much of a hero. But if you remember, he uh, you may not have known, but uh, President Lincoln actually asked him to be the general for the North. Robert E. Lee said, I believe in states' rights. Whichever way my state goes, that's where I'm going to go. After the war is over, he had many dignitaries from the North come to visit with him. Robert E. Lee didn't have uh, any servants after the war, and what happens is the people, the dignitaries, would set their boots outside the door because they're used to servants doing what at night? Cleaning them and putting black and blackening them for the next day. Robert E. Lee didn't want to embarrass them, so who do you think stayed up and did it? He did. Not saying anything, and they didn't know, and he didn't embarrass them. I think so oftentimes, but again, why did he do it? And he stopped and thinking, he, he's serving where God's placed him and let others praise him. The, uh, some of you might remember there's a pastor... Just recently went to be with the Lord. He was 96 in Aberdeen, Dakota, if you remember. He made this statement. Very, very famous guy. In fact, Billy Graham and so on used him as considered him one of the greatest soul winners and how to teach soul winning that they'd ever met. And a tremendous man. And this is the statement that he made. I thought it was interesting. When people give you praise, this is his statement. Taste it, but don't swallow it. And how many people swallow it? If you don't believe it, look at how many athletes today that are great and think they're the greatest because they've swallowed it. 
But Christians can do the same thing. You may not, again, like I said, humbly serve where God has placed you, but and let praise come from others. And I wanted you to think about this for a moment on the praise. How do you remember the missionary and his wife that come home from serving the Lord for almost 40 years? They're on the ship, they get to England, and there's all the bands out and they can see it. And they think, oh, they're welcoming us home from the mission field. And of course, being in the bottom, at the time they finally get up, all the bands and everything's gone. And they ask the question, oh, you know, what's going on? Well, there's a dignitary that came back on the ship and they were all here. And the husband was all disappointed. They thought everybody was welcoming back home after serving the Lord for 40 years. And his wife makes the statement, honey, we're not home yet. And I think it's important too. The praise will come in this time. So think about it. Are we serving because God has demonstrated and demanded it? Do we humbly serve to where God gets the credit? Do we humbly serve where God's placed us and with what He's given us? I think a lot of times we'll say I'll serve Him, but if and when. But humbly serve and let others praise you. But let me think of another one. Humbly serve looking at Him and our eternal reward. Look over in Hebrews chapter 11, talking about Moses for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 11, Humbly serve, looking at Him and our eternal reward. Verse 24 to 26 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Did Egypt have anything, any rewards to give him? You think about it, King's Tut, that's possessions that Moses had similar available to him. But he gave him up and notice he served and you know how welcoming, how great an experience was that when you read the book of Exodus? How many times were they upset with him? How many times did they want to stone him? And then you're wandering 40 years when they disobey. All the different things. But I want you to think about it. He was looking at, notice it says he was looking for his eternal reward. You serve looking to the eternal reward. If you remember we saw earlier, we started off in Mark chapter 10. You remember when the disciples are asking Jesus who's the greatest? Peter was among one of them and he was obviously upset with it. And so he writes about the same passage, the same thing. Just turn over a little bit to the right to 1 Peter 5. Notice towards the end of Peter's life, notice what he writes. It's interesting in verse five, chapter 5 of 1 Peter, he's writing, it's interesting what he doesn't say. He says, I exhort you elders among you as a fellow elder. What could he have said? Could he have said, I write to you as elders as an apostle which one's higher you notice you think about it he didn't he's learned but notice what does he say in verse 2 down through verse 4 shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight 
not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sword and gate, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why do you think it's called the unfading crown of glory? If you're serving people, how much glory is there? I think that's why it's called the crown of glory. When you're out there serving people, that's not a lot of glory in it. Today, we want everybody to do what? Serve us. It was 20 some years ago when I was at, been at the refinery, it was a new, I had a boss and he'd get on the radio and people would get so upset with him for, on my behalf. He'd call and say, Dan, I need gate 24 open. He had a key. So I'd have to drive wherever I was to go open the gate. I'd get a call later, Dan, I need you to close the gate. You mean you can't even get out of the truck and close the gate? And his statement was, that's why I went to college and got a degree. So I wouldn't have to tear that's what he told me. But he's also a believer, and you wonder where does it, where does it fit in? And yes, he's over me, and that's what you do, that's what you're told to do, and you know, if that's what he wants you to do, okay. But at the same time, how many of us as believers can get caught up in doing that? Whatever it might be. And when you you know, like you said, thinking about it, am I living for the line or am I living for the God? Do I look and live for eternity? Or am I living for the here and now and all the prestige we can get today? Let me give you a couple others. Think about this. Humbly seek what area of service He has for you, temporarily or permanently. First I'm thinking about, what about Nehemiah? In Nehemiah chapter 1, he hears about how bad Jerusalem is and how the walls are torn down and everything else. And he starts to pray. And he prays for three to four months, chapter 2, that and he then goes before the king and he asks for the supplies and he, God grants him permission and he goes and he builds the wall takes him 52 days he and the people what credentials did he have to build a wall what is his job in Nehemiah what was his job under the king cut bear okay so Glenn you're working at the church and you are over people and you need to have some construction done. And I say, Glenn, I got just the guy for you. What's his credentials? He's a cupbearer. And what are you going to say? No way am I turning over a construction job to a guy who doesn't have any experience building a wall. He hadn't even seen the wall. How can he rebuild it? But how many times do you and I do the exact same thing? I can't do it. I don't have the experience. If God lays it on your heart to do something, He'll give you the ability to do it if you trust Him. In His time. You know, He prayed for four months before He ever got an audience with the King. How many of us would have prayed four months? We prayed four (laughs) days and that's it. He prays four months. And during that time, he thinks about what all he'll need so when the king does ask you, 
in chapter 2, he has a quick, silent prayer, and he then asks, he knows he needs supplies. He knows he's going to need letters that allows him to go through all the different territories to get there. He asks all that. I think it's interesting when you look about it. So you need prayer when you think about it. I think Isaiah. Remember, God touches his mouth in Isaiah 6, and then the question is asked, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what did he say? Send me. Send me. And what do most of us do? I think Mike's qualified. No, really. How many of us are so good about looking at a qualification of somebody else? And couldn't Isaiah have said what? You think about it. Not me. I think it's important. Humbly ask and be willing. Okay, if you can do it all, then how much times are we going to rely on Him? If He only asks me to do what I'm capable of doing on my own human strength, I will not, more than likely, rely on Him to do it. So if He's asked me to do something I can't do, we normally will say, I can't do it. You're right. What, what allowed, you stop and think about it in Judges chapter 6, what allowed Gideon to do what he did? I'm the least, my family is the least in the tribe, and I'm the least in my family. You're right. Omani Van of Velder, as you're hiding in a wine press, that sounds like quite a guy. But he took 300 men to go up against 135,000 and he won. Because he trusted in the Lord. Let me give you the uh, last one. And while you're thinking about this, humbly seek where God has you. I mentioned it on Wednesday night, I'll mention it again. Tim Shepard, you know, I heard him 40 years ago sing in a concert. And this statement was made and it's stuck with me ever since. When he makes the statement, God is not so much interested in someone who says yes to him as someone who can't say no to him. What's the difference? If I say yes, who's boss? I am. If I can't say no, who's boss? He is. The last one I want you to think about, humbly serve Christ is a walk of faith. The person I think about is Joseph. Genesis 37, we can debate whether he should have told his brothers, but twice he tells his brothers, I've got a dream and you all are going to do what? Can you imagine going up to your older brothers and saying, hey, i got a dream. You guys are going to serve me one day. <laughs> and that goes over real well, especially since your dad is already showing favoritism. But we know what all he went through and how God developed him, whether it's in Potiphar's house or whether it's in the jail or whatever. It's interesting, though, when he told the Pharaoh about the dream, about the seven lean years and the seven good years, he makes the statement, you need to find somebody who's qualified to lead this and store all this. He never once said, you need somebody who can do this, and I'm your man. How did he know he wasn't going to get sent back to the jail? He didn't. And then when you get to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, it makes this statement to his brothers. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the preservation of many people. He didn't understand why God had let him go through all that at the beginning. 
But in the end, he understood exactly why God placed him where it was and for the preservation of his people. But it was not easy for him. How many of us are willing to serve God for the sake of somebody else? Not for our own service. So think about it, those ones we looked at. Does God demand us to be humble servants? When I do something, I do it for whose credit? For God's credit. When I humbly serve, do I let others praise me and don't try to praise myself? Humbly serve looking to the eternal reward. Do I humbly serve? Could be temporary. Nehemiah was only temporary. I'm going to do it for this long and then I'm going back. Could be a mission trip, it could be anything. We have a mission trip coming up in June, and we've already said the church will finance you if you'll go. And how many people have stepped up and said, I why don't we all say I'm gonna pray? Lord, if you want me to go on that trip. Show me. And I'll go. I challenge anybody in the church to take that trip. Don't automatically say no. Gene will attest. I was asked to make a trip and I said I couldn't finance it. Couldn't go to India. My brother stepped up and said I'll pay for it. That was over 2000 Then I said I can't go because it's right at the end of the leaf season and it's so many leaves on the ground I have to get it from my customer. It snowed. <laughs> Snow was on the ground the entire time I was gone. And it then melted. They, I couldn't have done it had I stayed. So I understand exactly where you're coming. We come up with all kinds of reasons. But if God wants you to go, come forward and hey, we'll see to it you get there. This trip or somebody. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.